Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 52, The OA. Welcome back, everybody. It's Mike and Dave with you once again, and we're talking about the OA part two, and it's been a while since we've discussed something other than the first season of a new show for a while, Dave. It is, and and this is certainly one that's been much anticipated, especially after the ending of season one, or as the show refers to them as parts, not season. So we're going to talk about part two which dropped on Netflix March 22nd of 2019. And both seasons, oh, there I did it again, Mike, both <laughs> parts have eight episodes. Britt Marling returns as Prairie Johnson and Nina Azarova. Jason Isaacs as Dr. Harvey Percy, a.k.a. Hap. We got a lot of the familiar faces back again. And as we've been doing throughout the last few months of the podcast, we're going to focus on the first two episodes, but we are going to bring in details from episodes three through eight, including the ending. Right. So when we get to that point, even though technically this whole thing is a spoiler, uh, we're going to hit the spoiler zone button after we discuss the initial episodes and then we'll discuss the overall season in the spoiler zone. But yeah, I, I do think that it's interesting that we have a series that has been gone for, gosh, two years, I think. I didn't realize. Yeah. And so we even talked about doing the OA part two. You know, whenever the OA part two comes out, we're going to talk about it on the podcast. I think that was like a year ago, maybe even more <laughs> that we discussed talking about the OA when it finally came back. And here it finally is. So, All right. Well, Mike, before we get into discussing part two let me do a quick recap and i mean quick of part one but that so, might be necessary yeah, in this case right now even if you saw part one yeah, so yeah. as a child in russia nina is involved in a school bus accident and though she survives and and of course there is some mystical situations that, that help her survival she loses her sight as a result of the accident and i'm making air quotes result her <laughs> father sends her to america to avoid danger at the hands of some russian mobsters she's adopted by the johnsons and takes the name prairie when the season opens prairie has been missing for seven years and has now returned she claims to not remember the events that have led up to her disappearance, doesn't remember how she regained her sight, which for her adoptive parents is something that they just have a lot of difficulty understanding and coming to terms with. Not to mention the press. You know, right. It's word spreads like crazy. Yes. But she assembles a group to whom she tells her story and teaches the movements which will allow them to free her friends who she tells them as part of her story that are trapped in another dimension. So 
that's as brief as I, I think we want to take the time. <laughs> I mean, if you haven't seen part one. And even that small amount, I, I feel like some of those things are up for question. Like, I think the, the fact that she doesn't remember it, she does remember. Yes. <laughs> I think she's just not telling. And I don't think they're trapped in another dimension quite yet. I think she just was able to escape. And, uh, but it, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to tell because it seems like she's telling the story as something that happened in the world along with the kids that she meets. But I think it's interesting that season one does take place in a very reflective manner. Is that fair to say? It was thinking back on what already happened and then it shows how it affects those in the present. And then in part two, we have those two storylines kind of separated. Right now, the whole dimension thing obviously becomes a lot more at the center of part two, but the whole idea of teaching this group the movements, right? She claims that's how she's going to be able to free her friends because Hap is killing them over and over to try to discover whether there's anything on the other side because each of these individuals that he has taken captive has had a near-death experience. Right, and something about having a near-death experience makes them able to be brought back more easily during his experiments. And so that's why he needs that particular type of person. Right. And and then we get the final scene in the school cafeteria where a gunman approaches and is about to unleash his automatic rifle on the students when the group stands up, starts doing the movement, which allows one of the uh, custodians to tackle him and as a result of a stray bullet, OA is shot through a window and that's how we're left at the end yeah. of part one. Well, I think it's very important that we say that season one had a bunch of speculation as to what was really happening and whether it was all a complete psychological break on the part of Prairie Johnson and not actually real. So I think that doubt really carried through the entire hiatus. Absolutely. And and that was realized through the character of French, who was the group skeptic mm-hmm. more than I think the others who bought in more unquestioningly. But one of the questions I think that viewers have after watching part two, we get a lot of answers for things that happened in part one. Does that detract from the mysteries, especially the ending? Yeah. I mean, I think it really does. When you're first watching it, you're like, well, some of the mysticism is gone. If season one had been the only thing we ever got to see of the OA, we'd always wonder whether OA was making the whole thing up, whether she was still alive, because Steve seems to indicate, take me with you, take me with you, as he runs off to the ambulance instead of her just dying. And so much of it is so culty, (laughs) you know, do these crazy movements and also, by the way, die and then go to the next dimension. That seems very, very much like drinking the Kool-Aid. Well, I I guess what I accept is they probably feel the need to give viewers some answers and some explanations. I mean, we do learn that the gunshot that OA suffers at the end of part one does kill her. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, in the two and a half years or however long we had to wait for part two, we didn't really know what the outcome was going to be. But one of the things I really love 
about part two because it expands on this is its investigation, its examination of the multiverse theory. And you and I have been down this road many times, and I really feel as if this does about as good a job as I've seen. I mean, Charlie Jade is good, (laughs) but counterpart and fringe have nothing on this multiverse. (laughs) Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And those are outstanding shows in their own right. Well, I think what's interesting, so they replaced the mysteries and the questioning of season one with the separation of the two plot lines. And it really created this really weird dissonance where even though we knew we could see that OA made it into this other dimension, the kids were left behind and there was still doubt about what they were doing. Even though we knew exactly that they were correct in every move that they made, it all seemed so pathetic. Like they were going down this horrible road that made everything that they had believed seem like a crock brought about by someone who had recruited them into her cult. Well, I know what you're saying. And I guess as as I watch and rewatch and really look at the nuances of the different characters, even though they have their doubts as to what really happened or maybe didn't happen, it's the fact that we have formed this family yeah and i I forget which episode it's in in part two and i think they they ask it of buck did you make this up just to bring us together yeah (laughs) and of course buck doesn't but i think it speaks to the fact that they all need this in different ways whether it's steve and the scenes of him running after the ambulance right and this particular dimension has all of them living terrible lives. They all have problems that far exceed anything that they probably would experience in the other dimensions. And I think that's thematically running throughout this series that you have to transcend that. That's what the OA was. Are we just going to live this life, you know, day after day, the same drudgery, or are we going to see what is bigger out there? Right now, I guess before we go too much further, a very, quick down and dirty multiverse theory there are an infinite number of parallel universes each of which has a mike and a dave and they're the same but they're different and that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) yeah well that's also it's so different from like counterpart for example where the two people are distinct from each other and you know they might hate each other but they each have the right to exist. Not so in the OA. You just overwrite them, but they're still in the background. And I think in the first two episodes, we were okay with that. It wasn't until the very end when the concept of embracing the different selves and incorporating them into one person that it starts to get really interesting and crazy and metaphysical. (laughs) Right. So what we learn is that Prairie, Scott, Renata, and Rachel, who were captives with her at the hands of hap along with hap have all had their consciousnesses jump to their parallel selves in another similar yet different universe and and as you said it sort of overwrites but again as we learn through prairie later on she learns how to control not only nina but prairie right and i think that's important that they didn't start out that way. The first couple of episodes, 
Prairie doesn't even care what Nina's like. <laughs> you know, she has no interest in learning more about the person whose consciousness, whose body she just took over with her consciousness. Right. But, you know, the other thing that I, well, the other thing, there's a lot of things I love <laughs> about this series, but the character of Hap, he's a man who has held these individuals captive for seven years, deprived them of physical human contact. And yet now in season two, we realize, damn, he really was onto something. Yeah, that's true. He just, the end justifies the means. In his mind, of course. And it it doesn't take away what he did, but we do see Hap in a different light. But the other detail that we have to now grapple with is why Homer didn't jump. And, And of course, we know from part one, Prairie and Homer were in the cages next to each other and ended up falling in love with each other, even though they they had no physical contact. So then we wonder, well, did Homer not jump as a result of a conscious decision? Yeah. And I don't think we have an answer for that. We just have to accept that something went wrong. (laughs) Right. And you've already used the word metaphysical. and, And I think that's a word that we could use probably every paragraph as we discuss this show. But, uh, Episodes one and two, I mean, at the beginning, right away, were presented a different set of characters, and the story seems to be going down this path where a detective is searching for a missing girl named Michelle, and, and we, we get this Vietnamese woman, Mrs. Vu, comes to Kareem Washington, who we later learn at one time was an FBI agent and now is a private investigator. And she's asking him to help find her missing granddaughter. Right. Has $30,000 to pay him. So plenty of expense money because this money came from a video game that Michelle was playing that somehow has something to do with her disappearance. And I love that that has nothing to do with the OA part one. It's a completely different premise. So you're wondering what the heck are they doing at this point? (laughs) Right. I like that they establish right away any questions we have about Kareem's motives are are taken away. I think by that scene when he's riding on the bus with the grandmother and she falls asleep and her head keeps falling (laughs) on his shoulder and he pushes it away and it comes back again. And he is fascinated with this story. And I think, again, more so when he learns that she apparently made all this money playing a game on her phone. Right. What a weird but wonderful <laughs> thing to start us off with. And I have to say, the actor Kingsley Benadir, who plays Kareem Washington, outstanding oh job. I mean, he he should have been in season one. I would have loved it. Right. <laughs> I don't know how they would have done that. but Right. Now, as he's investigating the story, we get that scene when he goes to the apartment of a couple that has apparently agreed to let Michelle stay with them as she's homeless. And they have a young son named Donald and Kareem senses Donald wants to tell him something. And he meets the boy out on the street and Donald, again, I love it. He just takes Kareem's hand and then leads him. And at first he goes down that street where there are all these homeless people living in tents. And we assume he's going to stop at one of these tents, but no, he keeps going And they end up at this, uh, I know I have in my notes, gothic building. It's probably not really gothic. I don't know. But it's a a huge house at the top of a hill, vacant. 
But he says Michelle sometimes slept here. And what gets Kareem's attention are these drawings on the ceiling above where she has her bed. And, and clearly they're important. He uses his phone to take pictures and the clues are starting to come fast and furious at this point. Yeah. And I like the way that Kareem carries on his investigation, sometimes at odds with the police that are thinking that there's nothing here that why is he bothering? I think that one of the cops is kind of racist against Kareem and thinks he's wasting his time. But, you know, he's been hired to do a job and he's going to do it no matter how weird it gets. Right. And this storyline, it runs throughout the season, but it does sort of come full circle at the end of chapter two, which is what the OA calls an episode, because we keep hearing about this Michelle and he has a picture, Kareem, that is, has a picture of her on his phone. She's behind a drum set and... We're then at the end of episode two taken to a scene that we feel like we've been there before. And of course, we learn that this is the neighborhood in which Prairie Johnson lived with her adoptive parents and the, and the other kids. And there's a scene with a mother and child who says, my name's not Michelle, it's Buck. And then, yeah. oh, okay. Well, I- And it's interesting because now, did you not get that reveal until that moment? I did not. Because I think I kind of, I may have spoiled it for myself a bit by rewatching part one, because I'm sure a lot of people had to go back and watch part one to, to get a context. And I immediately recognized the picture, maybe not on its own, but the fact that they were calling her Michelle, I remembered that that was Buck's real name. So I was like, that's Buck, (laughs) you know, but yeah, it was a nice little touch to, say it at the end and they didn't even show her him i guess buck very clearly except like the reflection of a mirror so it was very subtle and very chill inducing that ending and i think up to this point we're wondering what's the connection with part one i mean what about all these people that we grew close to through the eight episodes of part one well how is that going to play into this next season well I almost thought that they couldn't get those actors back, so they just went with a completely new plot line. Thankfully, that wasn't the case. Now, a secondary story deals with what's called the Q Symphony, which is the game that these young people are playing on their phones. And as it turns out, it's an attempt by a businessman to basically crowdsource a question that he wants answered. And he's done it with other businesses. You know, basically, you throw out a prize and and a problem, and you get somebody else to do the work for you at a much cheaper rate than you would if you had to hire an office full of employees. You might even get them to pay for it if it's an app on your phone. (laughs) Exactly. So he's consumed initially with finding out how Michelle got her money from a game that she played on her phone. And... The young boy Donald shows Kareem the game on Michelle's phone, which they find hidden at at that uh, place that she crashes in that house. And then, of course, suddenly somebody runs out of the uh, background, tackles Kareem, takes the phone. I solved them myself. I've seen a million versions of myself. And next thing you know, he's running through a plate glass window on the second floor. We assume crashing to his death but of course that's not how it turns out but if that doesn't motivate kareem 
nothing will. And, and, uh, well, it creates difficulties for him too, because of course then the police get involved, but yeah, what's this house doing? Why is it abandoned? What's it got to do with the game? He even runs into uh, a girl played by Zendaya, which that was a surprise appearance by Zendaya as the, the young girl who shows him how to play the game. And he thinks he's got it all figured out. You know, the augmented reality with the steps that lead up the hill but it actually he has to turn around and look at it from a different view. This is a theme that plays throughout the OA is you have to look at things from a perspective that you're not expecting. And they talk about the astronauts going to the moon and then looking back at the earth. That's everything to do with what OA is trying to get people to do. That's sort of like the angels lesson, if you will. Right. And you know, you mentioned the, this young girl that helps Kareem and explains to him that, you know, the game at some point goes into real life. She thinks that not only did Michelle get to, I forget whether it's level four, or level five that pays you $31,000, but she thinks Michelle solved the end puzzle. Why she's disappeared, because that uh, apparently got you a million dollars if you, you solved that. But so now he's on the trail of Pierre Ruskin and an organization that he has called Curie, C-U-R-I. And I, I love the way he gets inside the building by crashing into the truck of the uh, cleaning crew. And then, hey, I'll give you $400 to uh, put me on your crew, <laughs> take over for one of your guys. Yeah, I like he's got a very unorthodox, but very private eye style of working his magic. Right. But he gets inside and, and at first he's horrified by what he sees as he's crawling through the vent above this room where all of these people are lying on beds. And I mean, there are dozens of individuals, mostly kids. Yeah. But it doesn't take him long to figure out that this is some sort of a sleep study or dream study. And and of course we learn that they're recording their dreams, but again, Next clue, the woman who studied their dreams disappeared two weeks ago, which is the same time frame he's working with in terms of Michelle's disappearance. So now he's wondering, all right, did the doctor see something she wasn't supposed to see? What's the Ruskin connection? And we learned that this doctor's name is Dr. Marlowe Rhodes. And this Dr. Rhodes not only has dropped off the face of the earth, so to speak. But his friend Mo tells Kareem that it's a perfect scrub job. You know, I mean, it's as if she doesn't exist at all, but she does give him a lead. It's the address of a bookstore that she frequents. And the reason she knows that is because she found that Dr. Rhodes had been audited by the IRS. Yeah. And what a great, I mean, he just has such great infiltration methods. Oh, I just want to get a gift from my friend and, can you deliver it for me? And then he just follows straight to the cabin. Right. And once he gets out to the cabin and, and finds uh, Dr. Rhodes, who's uh, confined to a wheelchair, we learn about something that had happened in Germany in the 1920s, because obviously they're studying dreams and whether or not there are any patterns to these dreams. And what Dr. Rhodes explains to him is that, as a result of the study at Curie, women started having the same dreams and the same three things emerged. A tunnel the size of a coffin, a curved double-sided staircase, 
and a rose-stained glass window. And as she explains to Kareem, well, you know, there are thousands, probably tens of thousands of buildings around the world that have these items, but there's only one that has all three. And it's in San Francisco, and it's that house that we're then presented with. What is it? What does it do? The game is designed to lure kids to the house so that Pierre Ruskin can figure out what the heck is going on. Right, and that wasn't the original plan. I think the original plan was to use these kids to use the dream images and all the commonalities, the algorithms, to predict what would be coming next technology-wise that he could make money on, like ride-sharing or all that kind of stuff. But I think it must have been the conclusion that came later in the series that Nina came to him to introduce these other concepts where you could figure out something that was even more powerful than making money. Right. And at this point still we're wondering, all right, how does all this connect to season one? <laughs> yeah. Kareem finds out that Nina Azarova owns this house. Yes. And he learns that she's been committed to treasure Island. So uh, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about Prairie as Nina and more of the mysteries of Treasure Island. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right. Well, we've laid out, I think, some of the, I don't want to say the central mysteries because they're not necessarily central, but they're certainly integral. So why don't we talk about Prairie Johnson as Nina Azarova? Because at first we're wondering, all right, who's Nina? Russian? And we're like, wait, what? It's Prairie. And and of course, then we go back to our memories of of season one and that, you know, she she was born Russian and, and, you know, was adopted by a family. But we get that scene where she's on a ferry and, and right away there's a totally different perception we have of her, the way she's dressed, the way she has her hair, the way she wears her makeup. Everything's totally different. This is not Prairie, even though it is. Yeah. Remarkable job of making her link look distinctly different from her season one persona. Right. Now, we probably should go back real quickly to the opening of episode one, seven hours, 51 minutes earlier. Yeah, that one of the big mysteries that keeps showing up. You go out there on YouTube, any of the videos that say 
The OA ending explained, which is a very popular thing to do these days. One of the big mysteries is what did they mean by seven hours and 51 minutes earlier? And there's a lot of speculation about that. I don't know. Well, we see her on a ferry and she starts having some kind of an attack, clutches her chest and says she's been shot in the chest. And of course, those around her are are initially startled and come to her aid. They assume she's having a heart attack. She's rushed to the hospital. But then we find ourselves in the ambulance after Prairie was shot at the school. So now things are starting to become clearer, sort of, you know, that this is okay is she experiencing being shot in a in another life in another universe and 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 of course that's what we learn is happening so that the assumption is that as nina azarova clutches her chest on this ferry in another universe prairie johnson has just taken a bullet an actual bullet right to the chest and died sending her consciousness to this new dimension right so Nina is now resting in a hospital, but she doesn't have a Russian accent. <laughs> yeah. She has an American accent. It's 2016, and she doesn't really remember things. The nurses have her wallet, which has ID for Nina Azarova and address and, and probably, you know, all sorts of other identifying items. But the nurse is just asking her some basic questions. How many fingers am I holding up? Can you blink? Who's the president? She says, Barack Obama. Who? (laughs) Who's that? (laughs) And we see on the TV that Biden is in fact president. And I think that takes us back to the fact that when Obama ran for president, he was a first term senator. So (laughs) it's realistic. it, It is realistic, of course. So at the time when Prairie Johnson got shot outside of the school cafeteria, her consciousness traveled to another universe. Because of the five people doing the movements. If they hadn't done that, it wouldn't have worked. Right. The five people doing the movements in the cafeteria. And, you know, later on, French tries to dismiss that. It didn't really have any effect. The The gunman was distracted because we were it, it was weird what we were doing. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it gave the custodian a chance to then tackle him. OK, maybe. But as you say, the, the key element here is that the movements allowed her to travel. I think it's interesting that she spends this time adjusting to her new dimension in a very overt manner that almost makes me think, you know what? You ended up at Treasure Island, but that's because you really weren't very subtle about your reactions to things and didn't hide it very well. I mean, obviously people are going to think she's crazy if she's saying, you know, not just Barack Obama and Joe Biden, but, you know, much more overt things that make her sound crazy. I mean, obviously, narratively, she had to get with Hap and all the rest of them, but I just thought that was interesting. She kind of screwed herself. Well, <laughs> and I understand what you're saying. I guess in her defense, did she have any experience with jumping to another universe? It's almost <laughs> as if. Yeah, I'm so blithe about that fact. Right. I mean, they were inside doing the movements. She was outside because she sensed danger and was coming to them. So I'm going to give her a break, but, but 
Okay. <laughs> but the scene that bothers me here is that the nurse comes in and wants to administer a sedative and Prairie or Nina is extremely lucid and says, I don't want any drugs. I need to be able to think. And immediately we jump to combative patient 5150. <laughs> like, yeah. really? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, they obviously were contriving the situation to get her to hap. But yeah, maybe right. a little over the top. Right. <laughs> and, and then we get that scene where they arrange a Skype call with her mother. And, you know, again, it takes us back to last week's discussion of the Twilight Zone when people are erased from life, I guess, if you will. And her mother doesn't recognize her at all. And then things start to click for uh, should we? I guess we should call her Nina. She's Nina to everybody in this universe, even though her consciousness is, is prairie. And I think that this is all speaks to the notes that she takes later where she's trying to track down how this dimension is different, where it diverged from her reality. And I guess she re- comes to the conclusion that the bus accident didn't happen. That gave her her initial near-death experience. And so this Nina grew up a perf- perfectly normal life in Russia and was able to have much more prosperity and was never adopted and, and was never Prairie Johnson. So right, right. that one change caused this entire part of this dimension, at least from her perspective, be different. Right. Well, the other interesting thing, though, we learned that her father did not die at a young age. Right. However, when she learns that he's died recently and she asks, well, how did he die? He was shot in a bathtub. So it sounds as if he was still consorting with the same kind of people that he was in the other universe. He just managed to avoid, I guess, getting killed longer in this universe. Right. Same oligarchy, <laughs> different circumstances. Right. But as you said, they had to contrive a way to get her to Treasure Island. And it, it was described as kind of a posh facility. And of course, it turns out to be anything but... The door opens. She immediately recognizes Homer, and he's, of course, surprised, but it's Dr. Homer Roberts, and she's, well, it's me, OA. He has absolutely no recognition, and we know he's being truthful, being honest. Right, and I think it was also pretty clear, even before any conversation took place, that as Nina passed by the other inmates, if you will, that they did recognize her, even though it was tough to recognize Scott in particular, who had dreadlocks in season one and was clean shaven in this one. But, you know, they did recognize her and it was clear before they even said a word that that was the case. Right. So Dr. Roberts is going to take her to meet the director. And of course, we've seen she's been labeled a combative patient. She's been transferred to this facility. She's acting like she recognizes this guy who has no uh, you know, reciprocal recognition takes her to the director. And of course it's Dr. Hunter Percy, AKA Hap. And he looks at her. It is you, isn't it? Hello, Prairie. Like, uh, what an ending. Oh my God. Almost as good as my name's not Michelle. It's Buck. <laughs> yes. Almost as good. <laughs> right. So the two of them, and I love this conversation on the one hand, are you surprised he kept her straight jacketed? 
Well, I think he might have been trying to make a point from the very beginning that he was still in control. But yeah, that was uh, something where he had to establish the ground rules the same way that he did when he had them in his basement in the other reality. Right. But for her, the question is, of course, why doesn't Homer remember me? And for whatever reason, Homer did not jump into Dr. Roberts. So the question, you know, because Hap had that group out in the field and and we we get to see that in, in this season. And even though Homer's part of that group, why did he not end up in this universe? Right. Still a mystery, even after seeing the entire season. (laughs) So we get that flashback, as I said, out to the field. And I love the fact that, you know, you mentioned that Prairie kind of messes things up for herself by acting crazy, if you will. But then we see when Hap transfers to Dr. Percy He's kind of out of his depth as well. I guess he has more of a recognition of what actually has just happened. And you see him like touching his hands, feeling his hair. And it's this glee that, damn, it worked. It worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that uh, it takes all of the season pretty much to figure out why did so many of them from his version of the movements end up in the same place in this reality. And I guess it comes to fruition that, you know, you build these families, you build these connections and they carry over between dimensions. So the fact that he's a psychiatrist with these patients that he had in his study in the other reality is no coincidence. Right. So the question becomes how many dimensions are there? I guess the multiverse theory says an infinite number Mm-hmm. He thinks she consciously navigated to this dimension and assumes, I think, that she's going to work with him to learn to control whatever. But how can he think she's not going to remember those seven years that she held all of them captive? You know, yeah, he's definitely got a warped view of his altruism. I mean, he literally thinks the end justifies the means. And why doesn't anyone agree with me? <laughs> that's that's his approach to life. Right. And and I like the way Homer is presented or Dr. Roberts, that he has heard the story that all of these travelers have been laying out in group sessions or, or individual sessions. So he knows pretty much by heart what it is she's going to say. That's the thing is that Homer thinks that Uh, Dr. Percy walks on water because he read some book that he wrote and was taken in as a, as sort of a mentee. And so when Hap kind of comes up with this idea of a group delusion, which has no merit in psychiatry at all or psychology, you know, Homer just buys it, even though it makes no sense. This is the only case in the world of this happening. But, you know, Dr. Percy is such a great guy that he's the one to, study it first right now you know we mentioned scott and renata are there rachel can't speak we learn that she has brain damage from a car accident as a teen so again i I go back to travelers when the one consciousness is put into an intellectually challenged young woman who now suddenly is no longer intellectually challenged i have to explain that here it's sort of the reverse and she's still trying to communicate. And I love that she knows things because Dr. Percy has used her as an assistant. And so, 
you know, she actually has some things to share, but she has no way to share it at first. Right. But at least we get those recognition scenes so that Nina understands that, no, I'm not crazy, that they all did jump. Of course, they want to know how she got there. And again, you, you know, I'll, I'll go back to your term metaphysical that she says it's because she thought about Homer and Homer's here. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll go well, with they that. Don't, they don't know anything about the kids and the fact that she told her entire story to these other people in her life. So they were like, how did you do it without other people doing the movements with you? So that makes sense that they would wonder that. Right. But she eventually learns that Hap is apparently building an interdimensional map, which makes perfect sense, really. I mean, when you discover something like this, but we go back to the house And apparently, as we're told, the house awakens a seed in every brain. And I guess that's what he's extracting from that kid's ear. Right. And of course, later on in the season becomes clear that that is his map, the seeds and the garden that grows from them. Right. Now, what we've just been talking about really encompasses episodes one and two. I mean, we've thrown some other ideas out there but why don't we just hit some of the highlights of episodes three through eight including the ending in our spoiler zone you are now entering the spoiler zone so yeah dave has a appropriately placed spoiler zone here because the first two episodes only encompass really oa's story and michelle's story the the new dimensions story And it's not until episode three that we even revisit the original dimension where Steve and French and Buck and all the rest of them are still there wondering what happened to their wonderful storyteller. (laughs) Right. And what gets things going in episode three is that Buck sees who he believes to be Rachel in a mirror. And the episode then focuses on the group's attempt to make contact. And even though he's never met Rachel, she's part of the story that OA had been telling them night after night in that house. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that it takes a while for us to figure out the house connection. I think it's really towards the very end of the season that the fact that Nina bought the house and the connection with Pierre Ruskin and the investigation that they were trying to go at is similar to the investigation that Prairie had to go through in her life It just wasn't the result of an NDE because apparently there's more than one way to travel between dimensions. It's not just, you know, getting five people together and making some funky movements. All right. And we learned that in episode four because Hap is away at a conference or I don't know, something. And he meets Elodie who recognizes him as a fellow traveler. So weird, Elodie. I I don't know what to make of her at all. And he mentions the movements. And she laughs and tells him that there are many ways to travel. And then we come back to the fact that, well, maybe Prairie was right. Maybe she did will herself to Homer in this dimension. I still think it was the movements of the kids in the cafeteria. but Yeah, totally. But she may just be telling the others that because she doesn't want to go into the whole, well, there's this guy named Steve and BBA and she doesn't want to have to explain all that. But yeah, it's interesting because there's a mechanical means with those little cubes that mimic the movements, but then there's also the rose window 
that Michelle uses to travel to the the dimension that shows up in the finale. So there's clearly more than one way to skin a cat. Right. Now, we've been talking about Homer, why Homer didn't jump. We get that scene in episode five, and it's not all of that long, but we see Homer with long hair in some sort of rustic environment. Is this another dimension to which he traveled when the others ended up with Hap? Hmm. I didn't catch that. Okay, now I'm going to have to go back and watch that. The only thing I noticed about Homer that I thought was really cool was the fact that during his first session with Nina, he was walking through the ceiling from season one. He was actually up there and reaches up through the ceiling panel to confirm that, no, there's nothing up here, Nina. You know, and that's an exact mirror of the NDE he experienced when he was trying to stay awake during his sessions with Hap in season one. How brilliant was that? (laughs) Oh, that was brilliant. And as she points out to him, you were watching your own hand. Yeah. In a a different dimension. That was awesome. I'm not sure I exactly understand when she falls out of the window and into some sort of metaphysical tree that communicates with her. (laughs) But what comes out of that, not to mention the octopus, there's a lot of weird things in this one. (laughs) Right. But what comes out of this is, the message that she must form a tribe to fend off Hap's power against her. And of course she already has a tribe. Mm -hmm. They're just not in the same dimension with her. Yeah. And how great was it? I wasn't sure how they were going to do it, but the fact that BBA was able to sense where she was once they all got to San Francisco and work with her from the other dimension. I thought that was just brilliant. Well, right. And the revelation that BBA is, in fact, psychic. She possesses some sort of spidey sense. Yeah. And they they intimate that BBA is the only one that can do this. And I get the sense that her connection has to do with the fact that she's not a kid and so is not in Hap's little garden the way the others were lured by the game into, you know, the, the versions of Steve and French and all the rest of them are in Hap's garden because they played the game, the Pierre Reskin's game, whereas BBA did not. So she's able to do that because her other self, as it were, is not trapped in Treasure Island. Right. Now, in 107, I think the key detail that Nina learns is that what happens in one dimension impacts other dimensions. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that I'm not sure we see a lot in... multiverse stories. I mean, I guess we do to a certain point, but it really comes out here that when OA met Buck at the abandoned house where she held her little group sessions, that's the same time Michelle started playing the game that led her to Nina's house. Exactly. Exactly. So they formed a connection in one world. Therefore that they will be connected in some way in another world. Right. It's just going to happen differently. Well, now Elodie seems to intimate that Hap, Homer, and Nina specifically are a unit, not necessarily in the same way that the family works, but they always have to do things together, the three of them, that even if she doesn't really particularly care for Hap, there's no avoiding that. And I thought that was an interesting concept as well. Well, we get to the last episode, 108, and BBA's group has reached their version of treasure island and it's run down it's no longer in use they go in anyway and she knows 
senses that OA is there. And I think at first she's like, she's here just in a different room. And, you know, they go around. And meanwhile, Kareem returns to the house, goes through the puzzle again, and he reaches the Rose window, which, you you know, you mentioned, which is obviously a key to this entire storyline. And that OA has recovered Nina. So one of the things we talked about is that Prairie jumped into Nina's body. Well, what happened to Nina? Prairie was suppressing her. She, in this time, eventually learns how to let Nina out. Because of Elodie again. That's why Elodie is such a weird, cool character as a guide for what's going on, because she's clearly experienced and we're just not used to that. (laughs) Right. And, you know, we get the room with uh, the tank that houses the bodies of Scott, Steve, Jesse, you know, the flowers that Hap's harvested from their ears. But we get to the ending and Hap has these life-size robots, which I guess he had built after seeing Elodie's little mini robots. Awfully quickly, but yeah. (laughs) So... Meanwhile, BBA's group is performing the movements at the same physical location, albeit in a different universe. Again, to send Prairie or Nina, in this case, on her way to the next universe. (laughs) I guess um, that's all happening simultaneously. Haps, robots, Nina and Kareem going through the rose window all at the same time into yet another dimension. So. Somehow, Hap, O.A., and Steve end up in a universe, the same universe uh, for them. Well, I don't know if Steve traveled. That's just a different Steve. That's a new Steve. (laughs) Well, I don't know. That's a good question. Is it our Steve? Otherwise, well, he's chasing the ambulance again, but... I think he does say Hap, so yeah, you're right. And and this is what Kareem sees as he looks through the Rose window, and he's looking down, and... Immediately, we recognize it's a movie set. Yeah, well, a TV series set. (laughs) In which Jason Isaacs and Britt Marling (laughs) are making a movie about the OA's second season. Yes. And, of course, this is very meta, but I'm wondering right away, okay, is this some kind of misdirection? They're not going to do this, are they? I don't know how they can, but yes, it does look like they're going to do exactly that because Kareem is just going, Oh, I found Michelle. She's in this OA Netflix version of, of the world. <laughs> and he's able to pull her back in to meet back with her grandmother. So Michelle returns to her rightful place, presumably leaving the actor playing Buck <laughs> on the set of the OA. So, yeah, very weird. And he sees all the different things. He even sees the the envelope that he left for Mo in a scale model of his apartment in San Francisco because he can see everything from up there in that window. All right. So one of the things that I guess I've thought about over the last couple of days, we have this actor who looks like Hap, looks like <laughs> Dr. Percy, but says his name is Jason Isaacs, just as she's Nina Azarova in one universe and Prairie Johnson in another is he Jason Isaacs in this one. And what does that mean that they are in our world now? I think they're in another world. I think they're in a third. I think they're in this one. (laughs) Okay. I just think the other two were other worlds. Yeah. And also I kind of have a little bit of trouble with Hap being able to determine his own name 
quite so quickly because he never learned the integration trick the way OA did. So I'm not sure how he knew her name. I mean, he, he knew her name because he heard the PA mention Brit, Brit, what's wrong? You know, but how did he know his name was Jason Isaacs? I don't know. Maybe he saw a cut sheet lying on the floor somewhere uh, or a piece of the script. So very weird. I don't know how that translates into a season three. So you think that maybe they'll just play with it a little while and then go in a completely different direction? Uh, from everything I've read, they have it mapped out for five seasons. Wow. <laughs> so, Hopefully we don't have to wait two more years for season oh my three. Gosh. <laughs> for part three, rather. You're not kidding. So uh, obviously we have just scratched the surface here with season two, part two of the OA. And a- after this discussion, I think like, most of us, we're going to have to go back and do a rewatch or a rewatch <laughs> of the rewatch. Yeah, this is a very special case. The same way as with Russian Doll, we did go a little bit longer. Don't expect us to do this every time. It's only for very special cases where a lot of discussion is warranted that we want to go full season like this. But um, hopefully just going after those first two episodes and then doing the overview kind of kept it a little bit more concise for you. But yeah, that's the OA part two. I mean, I think it's just going to be something that people will discuss for a long time. But we're switching gears quite a bit next week uh, with a discussion topic. Dave, what's what's up next? We're going to talk about resurrected characters, characters who died and are brought back and <laughs> very appropriate, hopefully are brought back in a non cheesy <laughs> manner and not in another dimension <laughs> like we just talked about. Right. Yeah, lots of great characters, and hopefully the listeners will get involved on the Facebook group, as they often do, and on Twitter to share with us their favorite resurrected characters from genre television. But that's going to be it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep up the discussion on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US, and we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review this podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or in an email to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.